0: Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the Trinity Continuum rules by Onyx Path Publishing. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes and various hijinks. All content, including names, places, events companies and etc which may bear resemblance to entities living or dead is strictly coincidental and now on with the show thank you for joining us again on episode the old ways podcast i am normally your keeper keeper michael but i will be releasing control to storyteller
1: james who is going to tell us tonight what we're going to be playing go ahead james tonight we are going to be doing something a little new we're going to be kicking off something a little new and a little exciting. As you may know, usually I am in the Call of Cthulhu game as a player and the occasional keeper. Tonight, I will be your storyteller. And to my right, hello, I'm Jake, and I'll be playing Fillmore J.
2: Pinehurst. You may know him as Captain Omega.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And to Jake's right.
3: Hi, this is Miranda, and I'm playing Florence Fletcher tonight. Wealthy business mogul and the
1: sneak next to next at the table to Miranda.
4: This is Morgan. I play Ellie Thompson and I am a Wisconsin farm girl turned American spy.
1: And the last spot at
0: the table. Hi, this is Mike and I'm playing Nicholas Marcross and
1: I am also the sneak. I hope you guys are going to enjoy what we're about to lay down. And tonight's opening, we are actually going to go back in time just a little, just a hair. We're going to go back to the golden age. Radio, the dawn of television. In fact, literal dawn of television. The year is 1939. It is New York. There's a cloud or two in the sky hanging over the city itself, but you can, you guys can enjoy those from the outside because where you're at, it's sunny, sunny. It's warm. In fact, it's almost bordering on a little muggy. It's April 30th. And even though it's not open, the glories of the 1939 World's Fair stand before you. There are flags fluttering in the breeze. You can already smell food cooking. And Ellie Thompson, pluggy Ellie Thompson, has just stepped out of a cab. Morgan. Ellie finds herself standing outside of a gate, a stone gate light gray concrete. The city's hustle and bustle falling into the background as you stand in the middle of Flushing Meadows. You've been called here, you know, to attend and see to some of the opening procedurings of a, uh, a specific um, person here at the fair. All of that is pushed to the back of your mind because the glory of what stands before you and the sheer buildup of the senses already People flowing in and out of the gate. Gray suits, blue suits, hats, floral print dresses. It's easy enough, standing here and taking this in for a moment, to forget some of the turmoil that's really building up in the world outside. Some that you've even had come almost directly to your front door. People all over the world, angry. Some here doing bad things. But again, that's pushed all to the back of your mind at the glory that's in front of you. You're at the Southgate called the Corona Southgate, and you find yourself fishing in your purse for a ticket, a ticket that was sent to you directly in an envelope. This ticket is a special souvenir ticket. It has your name printed right on the bottom. You've, you've found out in the newspaper that most people just have a normal ticket that they had to purchase for 50 cents in this economy, which I mean, that's that's walking around money right there. That's two bits to rub together. Nowadays, who has two bits to rub together? Not a lot of folks. So, with ticket in hand and the sun beating down on your head, what are you doing?
4: Does the ticket have anything on it, uh, like where I'm supposed to go?
1: On the back, written in a pen, is Hall of Industry. And at the bottom, uh, or underneath Hall of Industry, it says Pinehurst.
4: I um, I'm assuming I don't know where that's at. Um, is there any maps or anything up that I can, you know, find my way to the Hall of Industry?
1: Oh, well, you take a look around. As you approach the front ticket gate, you don't see any maps available per se, not for free anyway, not large billboard style, but there are a couple of vendors, map vendors sitting out, standing outside, already hawking various maps. Get, get your maps here, right here, 25 cents, map to the World's Fair, hand drawn by artists, another one off in the distance, uh, this is the authentic 1939 World's Fair map, ladies and gentlemen. It only costs 25 cents. 25 cents, that's right. Find your way around. Don't waste time being lost when you could be found at the World Fair.
4: I dig in my purse for 25 cents, and I walk up to one of the map vendors to procure a map. Here you are, ma'am. Sir.
1: He takes the uh, quarter and drops it into his pocket. He hands you a folded-up map, you unfold it, and it's a large red-and-black print map. For all of its first appearance, it doesn't seem particularly impressive until you really start to look at it. So, as I said, you find yourself at the South Gate. The flow of people in and out as they pass around you reminds you a little bit of fish in water. One thing you do notice is that even though the world outside does seem to be fairly tumultuous right at the moment... Most of these people seem to have smiles on their faces. They seem to be having a grand old time. You see people walking around with little bits of food. You hear music drifting through the air. The time is about 10 a.m.
4: All right. I am going to review the map um, to the most direct path to the Hall of Industry. Um, And once I locate that on the map, I will briskly walk that way.
1: After a moment or two of looking, you, you see that in the roughly in the center of the map, or definitely in the center of the design of the map, where most of the map seems to be pointing to, radiating out from the hub of what's on the label on the map as the Democracy, just to the right of it is the Hall of Industry. You see on the map, and when you look up it's impossible to miss, a two hundred foot tall white sphere and a seven hundred foot tall white spire next to it they're impossible to miss. They stand out across the skyline. You anywhere you you're standing, you can point directly to them. And though you're fairly certain they seem to be sculptures, you find that their presence is almost kind of a little assuring because you you feel with this map and those, it's almost going to be impossible to be lost at the fair. So you head off towards the Hall of Industry. Map in hand, you get to the ticket gate. Morning, ma'am. Ticket, please.
4: I hand over my ticket. Um, I am due to go to Pinehurst in the Hall of Industry.
1: One moment, ma'am. He flips, open, grabs a clipboard, and he begins rifling through pages. Oh yes. Yes, ma'am. Professor Pinehurst is in the Hall of Industry. He's set up at the far end. All you have to do is take a north, a slight west, head towards the Democracy right over there by the Perisphere. You can't miss it. He points off towards the large white sphere.
4: Perfect. Um thanks so much and I start heading that way.
1: He tips his hat to you and gets a you know his his smile does not does not fade for even a moment when he turns to the next person. Morning sir, as you you hear him say as you walk away his noise, his voice lost in the cr- the din of the crowd as it kind of envelops you. There are so many people here. Yes, there's lots to see building-wise as each building is a marvel of architecture. The first building you see has a sign out front that says Ford. You assume the auto manufacturer. It has a, a spiraled ramp out front and long terraced buildings with a sweeping of road in front of it called the Avenue of Transportation, which is where you're standing now. You can see a, a road heads up between that and another building that says General Motors. You kind of chuckled to yourself, wondering what sort of competition gets on in that small street between them. But you head north and it seems to be the fastest route. Yeah. You pass a building called New York City and a building called just says the word pharmacy on the outside, which is wedge-shaped and long. And you finally come to a large, columned building with many doors out front that says the Hall of Industry. And as you walk into its marbled hall and begin to see its many sparkling and metallic sheen splendors, we'll get back to you. Nicholas. Yes. Bonjour. Bonjour. Nicholas, you have been here sent by your employers since about 9 a.m. You came in with some of the first round of the immediate concession crew and the maintenance people who were sweeping the sweeping these brand new streets that unfortunately, because it's this close to New York City, already seem to have developed a small amount of grit and a two piece or two of paper that are flowing down them. Although this is literally a handmade new city. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. It seems a testament to New York's ability to grime up anything. The Big Apple, as you've seen, has a pretty dark core. Yeah. You find yourself standing amongst this aforementioned hustle and bustle, standing outside of a place that you were assigned to originally start at and to check periodically throughout the day, called the Masterpieces of Art Building. Mm. You found it not far from the Business Machines and Insurance Building, You can see the General Motors building from from the front door where you are standing. But it's not outside that's interesting you. You've been working for this foundation for quite a while. They have an interest in acquiring endangered artifacts and pieces of art from history. Hmm. They, They find that, especially in this current day and age, that there's many pieces of history that seem to be going disappearing or being held at the whims of madmen. And some of those pieces of history are valuable and or sometimes even dangerous, as you have seen. Art is not always art. Sometimes it can move people. Sometimes it can move people to do crazy and dangerous things. So you were sent here to the fair, to this master, to this hall of masterpieces, as you've come to think of it. And you look inside and with your trained eye, as this foundation has given you a six months to a year of ongoing academic training as to what to spot and where and when it comes from this is a smorgasbord of wonders this is a, a veritable buffet of delights any art aficionado in the world would give his left and or right hand to be able to just stand in awe of what is gathered in these halls this is the art history treasures from all over the world this has a just the halls and halls and its hundreds and hundreds of feet of paintings that are being guarded by gentlemen in blue suits with uh, occasionally you'll see a 38 revolver at their hip or a nightstick but they seem to be almost oblivious to what they're actually guarding more of just a you've heard more than once a well i guess it wouldn't hurt if you touched the frame just once Today, which, of course, made you want to to throw up in your mouth a little bit. Just a little. Now, you've come to realize that while they're a little, you wouldn't call them incompetent, but not exactly uh, <laughs> e- ept, <laughs> they seem to be more of the inept variety.
0: Yeah, they're, they're, they're uh, likely
1: more paid eyes and um, friendly um, statues. You, yes, and you have definitely noticed that a good majority of the security that you have talked to today had a specific accent. And a lot of them had a very similar accent to one another. They had, uh, was, uh, you know, what we call a local accent. (laughs) Hey, buddy, don't touch your paintings. You know, I'm gonna come over there. (laughs) I'm gonna smack you in the chops. And, uh, so you do feel that perhaps they're mostly local boys. That being said, they all seem to be doing their job fairly well. You do know that you were also sent, obviously to engage in another scenario as it were. Mm -hmm. And it's getting to be about that time as the you hear the chimes that signify the gate's opening for the fair. Wonderful. Uh, and people begin to fill the streets. You, it, It's like flowers in spring. First, it's just one or two, and then 20, and then hundreds and hundreds of brightly colored suits and dresses, people with smiles, young and old, children carrying helium-filled balloons, and noisemakers, riffraff and food everywhere. Okay. Yeah,
0: so I guess my question then is, what is the party piece which I am
1: here to either examine or um, collect? There is actually a gauntlet. It is a silver gauntlet. It was created in the 11th century. It's supposed to be the gauntlet of a saint uh, who was originally a a, a knight or or a, a warrior of some sort. And he cast this gauntlet off and he took up the, the mantle hood of a saint. And his gauntlet now apparently had some sort of mythological folklore ability to either heal or strike down people who touched it. Oh, well, You do know that it's an extremely valuable piece. We're talking probably one and a half million dollars on the American market currently. Yeah, so it's an astronomical amount of money. Yes, ridiculously. Okay,
0: it's more than walking around money. That's folding
1: money right there. But it seems to be pretty well contained. It's in a looks like a crystalline glass box with metal clasps on the corners to hold it together, and it is currently chained to a table that looks like it is bolted to the floor. So you don't feel like it's going to go anywhere. It seems like Barney Fife here has has things on lock, as the kids say nowadays. Mm. And you do know that the you have seen a lot of people beginning to flow in and out through the center of. So you figure maybe now is probably a pretty good time to try to get over to your other obligation. Very well. And the other obligation is? You know that you were told to go to the Hall of Industry and you were to examine clandestinely, although not in a um, offensive way. You were to clandestinely examine the works and the display pieces of one Fillmore J. Pinehurst, Professor Fillmore J. Pinehurst, is presenting a device, and your foundation seems to have a certain overwhelming interest in it. The device reportedly would allow the user, once it's charged and properly set, to take a small sample of a matter or energy and define what it's made of and how old it is. That sounds fascinating. It seems as though the device is about the size of two bread boxes, and that just blows your mind. The concept of it being smaller than um, a building just blows your Froot Loops right out of the bowl. Well, then uh, with
0: the uh, gauntlet well protected, I'll make my way over.
1: All righty. You begin your sojourn across the way past... The extremely large white sphere in the middle of the fair itself, which you have come to find out in your bit of research back and forth today, is um, called the Parisphere, And the spire next to it is called the Trilon. The Trilon is the you're not you didn't catch who the artist slash architect was that built it, but it's supposed to be some sort of commentary on modern industrialism. Hmm. or something along those lines and the glory of creation? You're not 100% certain. So you begin heading towards what you were told, the Hall of Industry. Correct. All right. Miranda. Yes. You, your taxi arrives, or your taxi ride was nowhere near as pleasant as one that was mentioned earlier. This taxi driver really seems to believe that speed is what earns him the money. He doesn't seem to understand that the longer you're in the cab, the more money he makes because he drove here at speeds that you're fairly certain peeled the paint off of the outside of his yellow checkered cab. Mm. However, you do arrive. And at least it was paid for by someone else other than you. It goes on a corporate account. Like a lot of things that you will be paying for today, it goes on a corporate account. Rockwell Investments the firm with for which you work, seems to want to take care of you as much as possible. You have become, over the last year, or last two years even, you have become, well, one of the board members, uh, a uh, Harold Wilkins, has started to call you Rabbit, not in a derogatory way, but because he has consistently referred to you as his lucky rabbit's foot. Because your ability to read the stock market and make intuitive leaps of logic that have netted Rockwell Investments a substantial sum of money is unprecedented. And so they are giving you a little more responsibility. And in this case, they have sent you to one of the most amazing wonders on the globe right now which is the World's Fair. You're standing outside and very quickly the cab ride, that unfortunate cab ride, which could have been an amusement ride into itself here at the fair, fades from memory and is replaced by this wonder, this glorious triumph of people, engineering, and fast building. Having some experience with the financial world, as you look around, you realize exactly how expensive this place must have been. And I mean, like, quite expensive for them to build it over the course of just a year or two is you. You have a hard time wrapping your brain around the corners they must have either cut or the amount of the amount of green that they must have thrown into that hole to make it happen. Not your money and not something you have to worry about. You begin to stride forward very quickly, pull your ticket out of your hand purse and it, again has your name on it a, a, su- a special souvenir ticket that you were sent uh, this time by your company Rockwell Investments you get up to the gate and as you're about to go through it, it in fact the uh, the gentleman behind the counter in a blue cap and smile he looks up to you with a, his grin already forming as he's about to take your ticket and you know tell you good morning a gentleman steps out from behind the median uh, taller than you by about six inches. Black hair with a black mustache. Uh, His hair is slicked back. He's wearing a sharp business suit that does not look cheap. And uh, he he seems probably about 40-ish. Decent shape. He steps forward, steps through the gate and dismissively waves his hand at the clerk who was about to ask you for your ticket who was just doing his job. The clerk blinks for just a moment and then very quickly, uh, a couple of emotions seem to quite pass over his face. A look of a look of um, frustration, and then a brief look of fear that maybe he, that first look was saw, and then returning right back to that retail smile, and next person, please. S- gentleman strides forward, hand out. Are you Miss Fletcher? Yes, I am. My name's Grover Whalen. It's nice to meet you.
3: It's nice to meet you too, Mr. Whalen. I'm assuming that the company... Uh, intended for you to greet me here
1: well I'm a very busy man but Rockwell Investments has poured a lot of money into this here shindig as the kids would say
3: it's a waste if you ask me
1: he puts his fists on his hips very briefly in a almost paternal sort of way this is not a waste I assure you ma'am this here is going to be one of the most glorious spectacles known to man we will get national support and perhaps even international support in a time when it's important. Come on now. And he turns and he starts walking, expecting you to pretty much just fall into step behind him as he walks away.
3: Yeah, and I will. I'll I'll, I'll follow. Okay. Briskly.
1: As he's walking and you catch back up to him, he's literally mid-sentence as if he had not stopped talking the whole time that you were catching back up to him. And over there, well, that right over there, that's where General Motors Hall... I tell you that they have paid us this large sum of money to make this a spectacle for them. It is not boring, and it's definitely not going to be a failure. Now, you are not here to worry about that, though, are you? You are Miss Fletcher, and he takes a clipboard from underneath his arm, rifles through it for a second. You're supposed to be here for one Dr. Pinehurst? Professor Pinehurst.
3: That sounds right.
1: Of course it's right. I run a very tight ship. So, ma'am, if you would do be so kind, I have many things to do. I have to go see the president of the United States and the mayor LaGuardia today.
4: Yes, well,
3: if you can just point me in the correct direction, then I can find my way myself.
1: He makes the same dismissive gesture off in the direction of a large building past the, the white sphere. And begins walking away. Oh yes, the urge to do something very unladylike to his back as he walks away is only only stymed by the fact that there are other people walking around who would see it. <laughs> and even then, maybe not then.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, with a small frazzled cloud hanging above you, you turn on heel about 45 degrees to the east and begin walking <laughs> glaring at the receding back of a man who has already had a small solar system of other people gathered around him, circling, nodding their heads, and quickly yapping like small dogs. You head off towards what Ether referred to as the Hall of Industry. You arrive there in time, standing in the shadows of this large building and in the large, almost sundial-esque shadow of the Trilon Spire, several hundred feet away. You see that there are people standing outside. Milling in, milling out. a gentleman in a dark suit, dark hat younger gentleman I assume dark hair, paler skin about six1. he's standing and just arriving at the archway as uh, you arrive. Inside there seems to be various displays going on and and there's almost a line to get in. There's there's various it looks like inventors showing off their goods, showing off their displays. Um, showing off their inventions, almost barking in a carnival-like atmosphere. Nicholas, it is... um, You've been to bazaars all over the world. This is very similar. (laughs) There's very little difference between what is going on between the scientists and the people watching them than any Moroccan bazaar that you have been to to find one of their dry little trinkets. There are men talking about how good their fish is, and there are, there are rich men standing around them, wanting them to tell them that the fish is better.
0: Right. So this is the same sort of interplay between people and um, socio-politics, yes?
1: That's exactly what this is. The streets here in this building literally are paved with gold. As you look around and see, I mean, not literally, literally, but figuratively or literally, in that the people walking around here are there's not a poor suit in here, other than the occasional like looky-loo or gawker who has his family in tow. Well, look at that, honey. They'll be able to make instant pictures,
0: right? Yeah. So I think I think Nicholas's um, mo here is to move about the crowd slowly, carefully, take in exhibits, try to appear as if he is interested. Mm-hmm. Probably sort of his natural case. The place. Uh, step that's his first step is to get a full assessment of the room itself okay um and he's probably looking for things which are out of place so if the room is mostly filled with people who are in you know hundred dollar suits and you know fresh fedoras and you know that and the other then he's going to weed out the people who aren't those people right the people who Mm -hmm. come from you know, the middle of nowhere, in Nebraska, and they're, you know, probably this is their first time in, in New York City. I want to find the people who are not part of those two
1: schools of fish. So not a local and not a hayseed. That's right. You got it. And it takes you a few moments. And once it's done, there's only a few types of people left over. There are academics walking the floor that seem to be taking intense notes. There are scientists presenters that either seem to be on break from their own displays or waiting to see the next display that's coming up or seeing what the competition is doing and then there seems to be a third class of unidentifiables which people who don't seem to have a common motivation maybe they're representations of a company maybe they're representations of an industry in fact as you turn as you look you look down and one of them is standing right next to you. Um, not down, down. You know, she's not like a foot tall, but you look, you know, just slightly down. There is a uh, young woman standing next to you who seems to be looking around the, this, this hall in the same way that most people now look at puppy mills. In a truly unfortunate, this seems to be a ridiculous waste of time and why am I here sort of way. Hmm. She might be a local, but that's not why she's here. And she's definitely not a hayseed. And you don't think she's an academic. She doesn't have any of the telltale ink splots around the cuticles. There's, she has a skin tone that's something more than A4 paper. Looking around the room, she's one of the ones that not... She doesn't particularly stand out in that she does because she doesn't. Right, I, I put her on the list. Okay. One of the booths nearby, not far into the hall. Florence, what are you dressed like? I don't want to take liberties.
3: That's fine. Florence is dressed uh, modestly, and I would say that, I think we've talked about Florence has money partially because she is has the ability to make a lot of money, but also because she doesn't spend a lot of money. So she would, in no way, shape, or form, look flashy or try to stand out. She would, You would notice her as a business person, but not one that is gaudy or tries to show it off in any way.
1: And that in itself is almost why she makes um, almost a void space here is because everyone else has put on their Sunday best. Mm. The fair is a big thing. Everyone else has put on literally their Sunday best to go to the fair.
0: Yeah. So she, she and I then are very much alike in the sense that, like, I'm not wearing my Sunday best per se. I'm probably wearing a, a business week suit. It's not that I'm unkempt by any means, but I, I did not dress up to be here.
1: And in the time it takes you to um, essentially just kind of case her and the room, she passes by you. She she seems her eyes seem to alight on something. Miranda, you see a bit further down the hall here is a booth. It's about the size of a small room, but it's a booth or just as a sign that says Rockwell Investments. And you can you, you it has your company logo on it, obviously. So I assume you you head into the hall, uh, avoiding people, yeah. and towards the towards the room, yes, or toward towards your your room. I'm going to follow her. Okay, you begin to follow her, and amusingly, she is actually you, at every step that takes you closer to the Rockwell Investments booth, mm-hmm. you find to be slightly more and more um, unusual, because that essentially was probably where you were going to go. Oh, fantastic! So. Yeah, because standing at the Rockwell Investments booth are two people. One, uh, Morgan, what does Ellie look like?
4: She's probably about five, six, five, seven. She's got longer brown hair, blue eyes. Um, She's got she's probably got tan skin. She spent a lot of time outside and she's dressed to blend in at the fair because that is what she was trained to do.
1: So she's wearing um, yeah, nice outfit, but nothing, nothing, you know, not just not wearing you know, tinfoil and man from Mars kind of get up or anything. You introduce yourself to the gentleman at the booth who is, um, Jake, describe yourself. Describe what what Fillmore looks like. Uh, he's about six foot
2: tall, thin, uh, brown tousled hair. He's always wearing uh, goggles. And uh, he wears a suit, but the coat is on the chair and his uh, sleeves are rolled up and he's got kind of a
1: twitchy uh, franticness to him. This woman walks up to you, extends a hand. Morgan, you extend your hand to him and she introduces herself as your liaison to the World's Fair and an aide to help you in your displaying. Morgan, that's that's what you were told you were doing. As an assistant, is what you were told. Professor? Yes, yes. Uh,
2: who do I have the pleasure of speaking to?
4: I extend my hand. I'm I'm Ellie Thompson. Um, I was sent to be your assistant during the World's Fair.
2: Oh, fantastic. I could always use some more help.
4: Sure. Well, um. What What can I do for you?
2: Uh, right now, I need you to hold this right here so I could get the soldering gun in there.
1: He hands you a piece of equipment that under your best examination, you have no idea what it does. You do know that it's vibrating slightly, and it's humming.
4: Uh, well, she is, um, I am typically unafraid of any situation, um, so I just take the piece of equipment from him, and okay, um, do you want me to hold it like this?
1: Yes, that's perfect. All right, Jake, uh, you get to be the inaugural first roll of the game. I would like you to make me an intelligence and technology. So what Jake is going to be doing is, in the system, each stat attribute or skill has a series of number of dots. You add the dots of your attribute plus the dots of your skill. Each dot represents a D10 you roll. Your difficulty, sir, is going to be eight. So for every die that you get above an eight in the system for talents, uh, which is what you guys are considered, the, I I believe it is eight, is the... um, basic difficulty. If you roll a 10, roll it again. That's considered one success, and then a possibility for another success. Uh, There are some abilities that give you 8 and 9 again. That's called a 10 again. So you want to get as many as you can above 8. Okay, do any of my talents or edges or any of that? What do you have for edges? Uh, I believe Mr... Mr. Fix-It and Gadgeteer. You may utilize your science... As a secondary. Yeah, so. so you just
0: add them dice right in. Yep. Okay. Sweet. Yes.
1: Uh, two. Two successes. Okay. First of all, this machine that you're holding doesn't get any lighter over the course of the next two minutes as you're, um, as he's fiddling with it. He seems to get lost in the fact that it's being held up by a human and not by a machinery rig. So it takes him kind of a mummy. He starts to hum up popular tune that you're pretty sure Benny Goodman created, and eventually, right before you're about to drop it on the floor, he scoots a stool over underneath it, and you can put it down on the stool. The moment he takes the screwdriver back out, it makes a sound, and the vibrations stop. It begins to light up a little bit, but not much, just a a light glow in a few of the, the Nixie tubes that are along the top. They're, they're, they're putting symbols up you don't recognize the symbols, you're assuming he does.
4: So did the company um, tell me what the device is that he created?
1: Y- you had not heard what the device was, just that it had generated a certain amount of interest and that you really needed to see it for yourself as well as the person that built it.
4: So Professor um, what does is, what is this device of yours do?
2: So this is fantastic. It allows you to take a tiny bit of material, um, put it in there, analyze it, and you can find out what it's composed of and how old it is.
4: Oh, well, that sounds like it would be very useful to the science, scientific community.
2: Absolutely. Now, if only other people would recognize that.
1: As he uh, is shaking a screw, inadvertently shaking a screwdriver at this young woman, uh, <laughs> Nicholas and Florence, you both walk up now almost side by side to this booth. There are a few other people standing about watching as the scientist is yet to give any sort of ex- exhibition. He seems to be more fiddling with whatever the device is. As you two walk up.
3: I kind of has, have this picture of us walking side by side, each one like no know, knowing the other one's there,
0: mm-hmm.
3: not making any like direct eye contact with each other.
0: Oh, oh, absolutely. Yep.
3: It's a lot of side eyeing and glancing and peripheral vision.
0: I was <laughs> probably very careful, like almost slight tilting of my fedora to keep my eyes from making eye contact with her because <laughs> I don't want to.
1: I don't want to make eye contact with her. And both of you occasionally, like with every other footstep, think, okay they're gonna veer off any second now and this will yeah. be over. And then mm-hmm. every footstep that falls, it doesn't <laughs> until you're finally both standing side by side in front of this display area. Now surrounded by, you you sort of almost have to, you don't have to weave your way through a crowd, but you definitely by the time you stop moving, there are other people gathered around you. One of the fairs, um stewards basically keeps things on track schedule wise comes by and he looks at you and he kind of taps his watch of course of course and he steps up in front of the crowd ladies and gentlemen with an exhibition of science and engineering the likes of which the world has yet to see is professor Fillmore j pinehurst and his fantastic pinehurst indicator he turns and gestures back to you and then steps out of the way hello ladies and gentlemen Tonight, you're going to
2: witness something that will revolutionize science as we know it. This machine here can take an item, break it down to cons- its components, tell you exactly what's in it and how old it is.
1: You hear a couple of science science geeks gasp, look at each other. Nicholas and Ellie, Florence, you currently are... are- You have been told to pay extra special attention to this professor as you have not yet met him, but you know that he is considered to be a valuable asset to Mm -hmm. Rockwell Investments. They intentionally have invested almost an entire lab in just his brain, essentially, and the amount of money that they believe that they can make off of his creations. The one he is displaying, you know, is just the one that he has finished enough that he seems to be comfortable showing
3: mm-hmm.
1: and he's made a couple others that Rockwell that Rockwell will not let him show because they don't feel that either a is finished enough or b is safe for the common good
3: mm-hmm. also proprietary inf- proprietary information
1: all of it being proprietary yes absolutely proprietary
2: mm-hmm.
1: so you you are watching him operate this device Professor Prydners, what um, you have three samples that you've gathered. Mm-hmm. What three samples do you have that you're going to be testing? I have a penny from
2: 1900. Okay, interesting. All right, I have a piece of wood from a my apartment building. Okay, and then I have mm, something more interesting—a liquid.
1: A liquid? Yeah, an unidentified liquid. Yes. Okay. So you take each sample in turn. You see him take the first sample, and he lifts a penny.
2: See, yep, like, I get up close to somebody so they can read the date off of it. 1900? Yes, yes. I place it in the machine,
1: turn it on. And a reel of paper comes out with
2: information scribbled on it. I tear it off, and then I go to uh, one one of the
1: people in the crowd and say, Can you read that? He takes it 98% copper from looks like wait, what is that? I don't I don't know what that word it's man- manibia manibia. <laughs> it looks like that may have been where it was mined. Oh, the copper was mined. Yeah, that is. A- <laughs> yeah. You hear a couple of people not scoff exactly, but, you know, <gasps> you know, like, <laughs> oh, there's no way that could be happening. So then you turn to the wood. Yes. Yeah you put the chunk of wood into it and, it and eventually it spits out that little reel of paper it says that it was grown from a deciduous tree in the Yonkers region of New York in 1910 so you assume that that's probably where that wood came from before they built your apartment building last one hmm? I was just going to
0: say as we're walking watching these processes go on Yes. would it be reasonable to to um, to test the the basis of these theories with intellect and science, you absolutely could. Yes, like okay, so the machine is doing a thing, mm-hmm. and sure, okay. The to me the penny test is well, we already know the date on um, the penny because well it's printed on it. Mm. The wood is a little bit more fascinating, obviously, but these could all be redone in the background. <clears throat> I, what I'm trying to figure out is is what is being Proposed or utilized here by the professor, is it scientifically possible to even do what he's saying? Or is it scientifically possible to have the machine do what he says it does? Give me uh yeah, give me an intellect science roll. Yeah, five dice. Voodoo up the dice. I'm gonna try. These are the um, Eldritch Glam Eldritch Glam dice. Ooh, they're pretty. They
1: have given me one success. One success. Okay. So hearing him, hearing what he's saying and watching what he's doing with this machine, it would be possible, perhaps, if the device could break whatever the item is down and then reference it to samples that it had already taken in, maybe, or it would be some sort of scientific device, it would be some sort of scientific principle that you just have never heard of that. That it's like so far beyond what you know, which you try to stay. You know, you read popular science or Popular Mechanics, and you could probably build a hutch over a weekend with the proper tools. So Nicholas has two dots of science and a dot of technology. He's not a he's not a layman no, by any means. Not a layman. To- he understands the basic principles. So if Professor Pinehurst has built what he says, if the Pinehurst indicator does what he says it does. This will revolutionize the world.
0: Then I actually get... I I get a little closer because I get interested.
1: Sure. You move forward just a little bit. Florence, the the gentleman that was standing next to you finally moves away from you a little bit. (laughs) He's no longer close enough to literally rub his elbow on your elbow. She's like, oh, thank God.
3: No, well, my thought was I move closer as well. He's not going to beat me out to this. If this is a a good and... He could be trying to get company secrets. He could... I don't know who this guy is, and I'm suspicious.
1: You, um, in an effort to adjust yourself a little bit to be not closer, but so that he doesn't exactly get away from you, you Mm -hmm. end up bumping into an an older gentleman with um, mostly... To call it salt and pepper would be generous. It's mostly white with little bits of black in it now, little bits of pepper left. A large bushy mustache, big white bushy hair. He's wearing a, a rumpled cardigan and a pair of rumpled slacks and a pair of beaten up shoes. He's standing there in the crowd watching. He has a delighted look on his face and a small notebook and a pencil that looks like it is one of several thousand that have gone through his hands. You bump into this not exactly elderly gentleman, but definitely uh, crested the hill of middle age. Um, he, he, oh, I mean, he ordered a mum. Apologize. Yeah. Yeah. He, he pats you very lightly on the, the shoulder, Florence. And then he realizes he has, in fact, went on too long and takes his hand off and yes. seems a little... Uh, for his older self, he seems a little sheepish. Mm. But uh,
3: excuse, excuse me, sir. Excuse me. My apologies.
1: He kind of... He mumbles something in a language you don't quite understand and he, he nods his head and makes kind of an apologetic, almost little boyish grin gesture. So... As you guys are watching this professor give his uh, exhibition on this fantastic device, Ellie, you are kind of thrust into the position of magician's assistant for a magic act you you did not rehearse for. (laughs) As the professor keeps handing you things and having you stand in specific places... He, he'll ask you a question and then look at you with an expectant response as if you had already rehearsed this uh, this display <laughs> exposition, but have not. So I need you to give me a manipulation humanities role, please.
4: Yep. And um, just to state before this, since sure. he's like doing this, using this machine, not sure what it's really. It could blow up maybe. I, I mean... <laughs>
1: So it, it, it seems like it absolutely could, yes.
4: <laughs> and so I throw, um, right before it starts, I throw my hair up in a bun. Um, is there any extra pair of gaggles laying around?
1: There's like four. Yeah. Okay.
4: I gr- I grab one, a pair, and put them on because kind of protect myself. Because the, the professor didn't offer that up when he was going to start the machine, <laughs> he, he seems a little eccentric, and that's okay. Uh, but so put those on, and I'm I'm also keeping an eye on the crowd um, to make sure there's no one nobody that's you know out of place.
1: Sure. In fact, because you are keeping an eye on the crowd at the back, I won't even make you roll for it.
4: It was manipulation in humanities, right? Yes, please. Okay. As successes, an eight and a nine, right? Or anything above an eight. Okay. I have two successes and I get no ones.
1: Two successes? And I get
4: what and I get one ten.
1: Roll that ten again.
4: Okay. Um, and I get a nine. So I get three successes.
1: With the three successes on your um, what I essentially we would call an acting role, <laughs> you manage to maintain your composure on stage dealing with the improv that you are having to deal with from the professor and the only moment that you have a lapse and only you would notice it is you look up and at the back of the crowd there's whereas everyone else is wearing nice suits, nice dresses, very light clothing because it is April 30th and it's extremely warm and sweaty out you notice a gentleman at the back that's wearing a full trench coat and a hat that's been pulled down. He's definitely watching the display, but he is not dressed for the weather at all. And it's the thing that immediately attracts your eye.
4: Yep, so I, I, I keep an eye on him, as well as obviously paying attention to what the professor is asking me to do. Um, James, did I bring any sort of weapon with me?
1: You did bring a small snub-nose thirty eight. I did. It is in your handbag, which is on a table nearby.
4: Oh, well, that's a kind of mentally calculating in my head, whether I'm gonna be able to reach that in time if that gentleman decides to um, come forward and cause an issue. I think I can get to it. Um, so I just kind of keep going and, you know, try to make myself nearer to my handbag and not let the professor know that anything is up. Okay
1: professor she's for an assistant you don't think you've worked with before it's hard to tell people all kind of blend together once in a while so you're not used to them but she's doing quite a good job um she's helping where he needs to be helped you know she's occasionally holding things she hasn't interjected anything that sounds you know obtuse or stupid um which is fantastic yeah that's everything i need yeah exactly um yeah and it's nothing nothing like the time when you accidentally blended two actual assistants into one which was horrific
0: everyone has their um you know okay. their
1: their blue period everyone has
0: their um
2: their mosaic period i was gonna say a them a they and it <laughs> listen listen anything worth doing takes sacrifice
1: Nicholas, as you are standing and watching him with your wrapped interest, actually, Florence as well, as you're both watching him with wrapped, him and her with rapt interest, um, both of you uh, make me a. Let's do intellect humanities for both of you. Okay. Yep.
0: That is an eight, and this is a nine. That's two. Two successes.
3: Florence has one success.
1: One success. Okay. You both notice, Nicholas, you notice it first, and Florence, you notice it almost because Nicholas Reese seems to react to it subtly, that uh, the lady that's helping him, the professor, his assistant, notices something behind you. You look first, Nicholas, because you notice first. And again, because he turns his head and you have that. I really don't want to make eye contact. You look too to see if he's spotting an opportunity that you should be spotting first. And you notice uh, two things. One, Nicholas, you notice this small man that's standing next to you. And uh, if you'd like, both of you can make me just a straight intellect roll just to see if you recognize who he is. But more importantly, you notice that there's a man at the back wearing, uh, he's definitely not dressed for the weather. He's dressed much heavier than he seems, than he should be. And he seems to be looking rather intently, what you can see from the reflection of just like the eye slits between hat brim and collar. Um, it, he seems to be looking either at you, at your guys, or intently at what's going on on the stage, like very intently.
0: I would like to ensure that um, you are you remember a gift I have, which is mirrored sunglasses. Yes, please. Which means that if someone, anyone, means me harm, um, I would I would be I would be preternaturally aware of it before I even look. Like if if he means me ill, then I would know I would know that he's there or that not
1: necessarily he, but I would know that someone here means me harm. All right then we will say the reason that you turned to look first, I won't even make you roll for it, that is a fantastic use of gift. Um, The reason that you turned to look in the first place, simultaneously not only was it the assistant's brief pause when she looked out at the crowd, but at that moment, the way she paused, something on the hackles in the back of your neck stood up a little. It it gave you that you haven't felt this since that one night in Marrakesh. Um, Man, Marrakesh. All over again. Yeah, seriously. And you... It's what prompts you to turn and look. That hackles feeling. That knowledge that there might be a barrel pointed at the back of your head without you knowing it or some such. I will roll for the other one then. Yes, please.
0: Uh, that is a 10 and that is an 8. Uh, so that's just 2.
1: All right. Um. So you... As you as you sweep, as your eyes sweep the crowd, your eyes go towards the person in the back. But they alight briefly on the person standing between you and the woman whose eyes you are desperately trying not to meet because it's just awkward as hell at this point. (laughs) The rumpled old gentleman between you, you have actually seen in the newspapers fairly often over the last couple of years. In fact, he's been working on quite a few important things for the government of the American government, not the New York government. Uh, in fact, he has been working on what they are calling atomic power, something about splitting atoms. And, uh, he is a an Austrian-born gentleman by the name of Herr Einstein. Would I know his, his first name? You believe it's something with Alan Albert? I'm pretty sure it's Albert. And... Your eyes are like, oh, hey, a celebrity. But that's not what's raising the hackles in the back of my neck. Mm. And your eyes sweep to the person at the back of the crowd. This person means you and possibly everyone up here ill intent. Your hackles are doing a little dance. Your goosebumps have goosebumps. Mm when florence you turn to look at him he now notices that two of you are looking at him and he takes an involuntary involuntary step backwards into the hall of a, of a industry and into the flow of people away from the, the stationary crowd watching professor pinehurst
3: i make a bold move and i look at nicholas
0: <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna break the wall I <laughs> meet her gaze
3: We both, we do it at the same time.
0: I say, that man's nothing but trouble.
3: I completely agree. He's up to something. I imagine us both (laughs) taking a step towards him.
1: Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you both take a step towards him, and you notice two things simultaneously. One, he's his backing, his retreating away from you has now doubled speed. He has definitely seen that you are looking at him and are coming towards him. Moreover, Nicholas, you get the definite feeling that his ill intent is not just pointed at you and not just pointed at the people on the stage. So he means ill for everyone. For everyone, but it's definitely a focal point right near you. If you had to lay wager on a table to see if you could cash out at the end of the night you would say that that ill intent is also aimed at the lady next to you and possibly the gentleman that's standing between you the little old man who the hell is this guy I aim to find out All right.
0: so I'm going to do the uh, the disarming thing in culture much as um, my uh, we'll just say the, um, the head of the company I would work for they would go straight at the problem and they would want to shake that person's hand, say hello, and socially unmask them, force them
1: to come into public light. That's a hundred percent true. Uh, one of your one of your high ranking training officers taught you that within the first couple of days of training, you head right through the crowd using your your handshake hand put out as as the <laughs> as the prow of a ship. Yes, this. this, this
0: My right hand is my weapon of choice in this regard.
1: Excellent. Professor, there seems to be some sort of commotion, a brief commotion going on out in the crowd. Obviously, it's just overexcited uh, spectators. Obviously, especially considering what you're showing them. Right. I mean, this is an amazing device. So you finally put the, after some recalibration, you finally put the vial of water, you pour the vial of water into this uh, device. It hums and clicks and whirs for a moment and then turns back up and then tries again. And then it spits out a long counterfoil of paper. Now, this is a little unheard of for you, but usually it gives a pretty concise report on the constituent elements of whatever you've poured into it. This time, it seems like it's picked up a source of energy nearby and that it's overriding the water, whatever was in the water. Hmm, that is interesting. You, enraptured by what has just come out, you begin looking at the research, and Ellie, he turns and grabs a piece of paper and starts doing rapid calculations with a pencil in the middle of his exhibition, (laughs) seeming to forget that there is now about 30 people standing around him watching, waiting for results. So what's it say? (laughs) Hey, Mac, come on. It's a bizarre form of energy. This should not be here. This should not exist outside of laboratory settings whatever that energy is it's something from nearby and it's pretty powerful hmm is it dangerous in large enough doses it would be extremely dangerous to machines and mostly to people and animals well that's not good (laughs) few people hear you mumble the words that's not good and you see a handful of the people in the front of the crowd cautiously back away Unfortunately, Nicholas, this makes your job a lot more complex as you are heading towards the crowd and now the crowd has moved backwards with you um, and has started to envelop the man in the trench coat. He turns on his heel and begins to, we'll say, power walk deeper into the Hall of Industry, but he's obviously heading for a door.
0: Mm, I am also going to be right on his heels. I have to know what he wanted and I have to know why he wants to do so many people in this room, myself included, Hmm. such ill. Okay, Um, That's not something that the uh, the foundation I work for would let
1: slide. Not so much. You head out into the crowd. Florence, are you going with him? He seems to have really fixed an eye on whatever this guy, whoever this person is.
3: Yes, I am.
1: All right. So the lady falls into lockstep next to you and begins matching pace to, to capture this or to, to go with this guy to uh, apprehend him in some fashion for question answering whatnot. you finally finish your calculations mm-hmm. professor and you look up and your crowd has pretty much all dispersed there's like one kid with a balloon and his <laughs> finger in his nose up to like the second knuckle and like a couple of people standing there hoping that science more science happens that something fun happens <laughs> and that's about it Hmm. Uh, Ellie, uh, he stops pontificating and then stops calculating. He seems fairly concerned with what has come out on this paper. Um, His brow is furrowed and and, and now has some uh, charcoal on it because he swiped his forehead with the pen or with the hand that he did the calculations with.
4: Professor, um, is there something wrong?
2: Yes, my machine has picked up an energy source, a dangerous one nearby
4: ellie's immediate thought is to let's go hunt down that energy source
1: <laughs> do you say that too <laughs> yeah I'm like oh, oh no
4: no she, no i she don't stand up and
1: for a moment has this in this this disquisitive look and then it passes quickly as she, she she reshutters the windows and puts a normal face back on
2: well obviously we have to find out what this is because it's too dangerous to be allowed uh just out there so somebody needs to be given a stern lecture on the safeties of science
1: so do you st- strap on your other piece of equipment then? Yes, I actually, okay.
2: Uh, yeah. Okay. I go grab a uh, a green satchel and it looks like a some kind of device with a handle.
4: So how do we go about?
1: Almost like a gun. So yeah, he puts on this green satchel. It has a, um, a curved, like the old phone cords, one of the curled cords that goes into something about the size of a modern hairdryer. That also can clip on the belt.
4: Um, what what is what is that you're carrying?
2: Well, this is my hyperatomic flux energy transmogrification ray.
4: How about for those of us that aren't in the scientific world, whoa, whoa, whoa. what what we call that?
2: It's my energy changer.
4: Does it hurt? people?
2: Not usually.
4: Oh. Wow. She kind of looks disappointed, but she immediately goes...
1: Um, I won't even make Sorry. you lie. I will make you roll for it. When he says not usually, there's a, there's a <laughs> long and very pregnant pause <laughs> before he says not usually. So you begin. You head out from the booth? Yes. Okay. You head out from your booth. You see off at the far end of the hall of industry, two of the people that were standing up front seem to be... They're the only people that now are. You guys are not exactly running, but almost a quick jog. As the person in the trench coat has um, started to move rather quickly now. He 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 seems to be attempting to deliberately evade you. All right. So I, if we're still in the hall
0: and there's there um, you know the dime store, um you know rent a rent a Joe's. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm gonna say something like, "Hey buddy, you dropped this. Hey, you dropped this, mister." Just to see, to see sort of like, to see that if I can get their attention that I'm trying to stop this person because they've honestly dropped something and that they're continuing to run and evade, which should at some point put radar up like, wait, why are they still running?
1: Give me a manipulation command roll, please, sir. As you are attempting to command attention to a specific situation. All right. That is four dice for Nicholas. I have one. All right. You really have to raise your voice in order to get above the din mostly in here. The the people talking and the occasional sound of transistors popping and electrical electricity crackling and such. There's a Jacob's ladder at the other end of the building that's eight and a half feet tall that makes giant sparks occasionally. But one of the security guards right next to the door that you were yelling at. He sees the person that you're this person in the trench coat. He sees who you're telling, who you're saying. You dropped something and he reaches out um, in a friendly manner to to grab the arm of the person as he runs by. Hey, You know, hey, buddy, you can even you can't hear him because it's quite a ways away, but you can see him mouth the words. Hey there, pal. And the person in the trench coat wrenches his arm out of the grasp of the security officer. And he turns around, he spins around to look at you. You. And the hall himself, the coat flies open and his hat falls off. It's a bald, older gentleman. Um, his skin has a very unhealthy, light yellow complexion to it. His Now that you can see it, it stands out in this hall of, of fairly normal, complected people. And he reaches into, as he opens his coat, he reaches into the inside pocket and he pulls out something about the size of, say, a coffee cup. It has a large red button on the side on a dial. And the security guard, his eyes grow wide as he backs off. And this gentleman turns the dial, pushes the button, and throws it on the floor, and it rolls towards you and Florence. oh What are your reactions? You figure maybe you have a split second.
0: Oh, well... I'm not exactly trained for this. But... I have an idea. So I think what I'd like to do is it's a hall, right? So it's probably got a big, the doors probably have, I would imagine anyway, tall windows on top of the door frames, let a bunch of light in. Very much vaulted ceilings. Most of it is concrete and marble. All right. Not so much. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna choose a different tack, James. So I was gonna... my, my first plan was to soccer kick this thing into the air. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, to try to evade it away. But I also have demolitions training, and so I'm gonna assume that
1: this is some sort of grenade. Does seem like some sort of explosive or or detonate detonative device, we'll call it. And so what I'd
0: like to attempt to do is we'll say freeform form disarming of a of a live grenade.
1: Well fantastic. Okay. In real time. That shouldn't be too hard should be pretty easy. So what I'm going to need you to roll for me, I'm going to... We're going to rule that 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 is a cunning technology roll. Intellect would give you a time to study it, but cunning is, at this point, you are on the heel, so... Yeah, that's good, because
0: that's really, truly, probably uh, the only... I'm going to get two seconds to look at this thing. Yep. That's not bad. So... I have two tens. That's fantastic. Uh, and one's rolled
1: over an eight, so I have three successes. Fantastic. Okay, so this canister rolls and literally lands like it nudges up against the tip of your shoe. Um, Florence, you look down as he it won't even say casually, but in an almost practiced manner—reaches down and picks up this dirt or this um, um, dull silver canister picks it up looks at this dial as you realize the dial um, looks a bit like a combination lock dial and is counting down mm-hmm. grabs it and pulls out a pocket knife quickly jimmies the side open and pulls out a handful of spaghetti looking wires and uses his Swiss army knife to clip two wires and splice them together and you hear the this device Like it makes an active power down sound? Yes, yes. Yeah. Now that you can see inside of this device, it is some tech that you, what what it was going to detonate is not like anything you have seen before. It is a blue, glowing, sparkling, almost looks like a fluid maybe that is generating now a small amount of heat and is making all of the hair on your arms and your head stand up being in contact with this. I look at Florence not knowing her name yet and
0: say, gee willikers, what do you think this is?
3: I don't know, but it's a a good thing you were here.
1: Yeah, I bet that egghead inside knows what this is. So by the time this has happened, you and Ellie, Professor, you and Ellie have left the booth and uh, you are looking at the 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 constant stream of paper that is coming out of the Pinehurst indicator that you are now carrying like a suitcase uh, in order to to judge the energy as you're walking around. The closest source of this energy seems to be coming further up the hall where those two people that ran off suddenly are standing. Well, that's where I'm going. Just a moment later, that professor shows up with something about this. He shows up with the device he was using just a little bit ago, and it looks like it has a a microphone attached to it like a reporter's microphone and he he holds the microphone next to this device the briefcase begins to whir and click very loudly oh yeah that's it this right here this is the uh, dangerous energy source I was
2: picking up
0: yeah a guy just ran out of here threw it at me
2: oh yeah he gestures
1: towards an empty door frame did you pull it apart like this yeah, that probably would have killed you or worse. You're not sure exactly what the calculations were, but you do know that it seems to cause rapid cellular mutation. The exposure to whatever this particle, this flux particles are. It is fascinating, though. I really need to want to
2: study. This. Anyhow, where did it come from? Uh,
0: the guy like sort of absentmindedly look over my shoulder at the empty door frame. Yeah, there was a guy at the back of the hall. He was all wrapped up and
1: had a hat on. He points towards a security guard who's now standing in the middle of this doorframe, mouth agape, and there's literally a stream of like a string of drool falling from the right side of his mouth. Well, that ain't right. No, we need to talk to this guy. I'll hustle on over. You guys all all walk over and yeah. So you get over to this security guard. And you, you not surround him per se, but you approach him as a group. Who is talking to him, and who is who, who is approaching him first?
3: I mean, it sounds like Nicholas's.
1: Yeah, I'll uh, approach him. Uh, you step over the small puddle of drool that has soaked the front of his shirt and is now accumulating next to his shoe. Uh, give me a give me an intellect medicine roll, real quick. Anyone who wants to doesn't just have to be Nicholas. Anyone who wants to make me an intellect medicine roll.
4: Is
3: this the same security guard that like touched that guy?
1: It is. Uh, Two successes.
3: Uh, Let me see what I have for an medicine.
1: The professor is busy fiddling with his device. Mm -hmm. The new device. Uh,
3: One success. Yes. For Florence.
1: One success for Florence. Okay. Uh, Ellie, were you running or were you going to roll?
4: I have a zero in medicine, so I won't be rolling anything.
1: Alright. Oh, well you can still roll. It would just be I can be roll just,
4: intellect. Yeah. It would just I, be
1: the straight intellect. You you get less I mean, dice. I, can. I mean that's what I did. Yep.
4: Um, okay. I got a two successes. One was a ten. And so that's three successes.
1: Okay. Um, you and Nicholas actually uh actually it's Ellie that points it out first, as you guys are looking him up and down. Florence, you notice the obvious thing. His hand where he touched this professor guy, the skin on his hand and up his arm has turned that same almost jaundiced yellow. And the area where the yellow and the normal skin tone meet is there's a a red ring almost uh, like a like like you get between healthy tissue and frostbite. Nicholas you notice that yeah he has not moved even his arm you notice is still stretched out slightly like it was when he grabbed the guy but what you notice Ellie is that his pupils take up almost the entirety of the color in his eyes like they are so dilated he's standing there drool literally coming out of his mouth stock still like a statue are any of you bumping him touching him jostling him I
0: mean, I'd probably, yeah, I mean, I'd probably shake him a little bit on the, the arm that isn't, you know, that doesn't look weird.
1: I don't want to make skin-to-skin contact on him. And I just want to say, hey, hey, you all right? You jostle him and his pupils go back to relatively normal size. And he, like someone waking up from a nap off of a school desk, he, what? And he wipes the drool off of his chin. Hey, buddy, you all right? Uh, you all right? What? 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 Hey, Whoa. What, what's going on? Where'd the guy go? He's
0: gone. He kind of looks around. But because of you, nobody got hurt. I sort of pat him on the shoulder. Good job.
1: Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I. You know. I'm just doing my doing my job. Yeah. you <laughs> did a good one. Walks off into the hall of industry, extremely confused. On the ground, you find a folded piece of paper. It is, in fact, looks exact, almost exactly like the same folded piece of paper. That, Ellie, you already own. This one seems a little more ragtag. A little more, we won't say ill-used, but it's definitely been looked at more.
4: Does it have a name on it?
1: Nope, doesn't have a name on it. In fact, just looks like a map. Much like the same map you had earlier.
4: Can Ellie, like, can I... Um, glean from the information on the map um, what this person might have been doing since they already looked nefarious and you know a little questionable
1: well well, um, you do see so you unfold this map and much like the one you had earlier this looks like a one of the purchasable maps uh, souvenir maps of the World's Fair here however dotting the map are six blue X's drawn in various locations. A small red, ec- or a small blue circle that's going around the hall of industry, and then a much larger red circle, which seems almost unnecessary because it circles almost the whole map. And that, that one is drawn in red. Professor, are you looking over the shoulder? Oh yeah. And such. Two seconds of quick calculations and... That's about the radius of energy dispersal for one of these explosives.
2: Oh, oh, okay. that makes sense, is what he says. What makes sense? Oh, see, the circle is about the uh, blast radius of uh, the energy from one of these devices. <laughs> my, my eyes go really, really big. Blast radius? Well, yeah, I mean, this is some kind of grenade, right? or explosive of some type so it's gonna have a blast radius that and that would be the calculations would say this would be the blast radius roughly i don't know any conventional weapons this size that blast that big well it's not a conventional weapon look at that you don't see that kind of wiring anywhere
1: yeah this is not in any way conventional you have seen many circuits in your in your um education this looks like none of them the first of all the pieces on this circuitry are tiny I mean, they are very, very, very small. Like, you would need a microscope or a uh, magnifying glass to see most of the, the the components on this board. You don't even know who would manufacture something like this.
0: All right, Professor. Uh, I think you can get to the bottom of this thing.
1: Oh, yeah. Without a problem.
0: I hand it over to him. Okay. I just need to know what it does. Uh, in intricate detail. Okay. Let oh, yeah. me
1: Um, If you want to give me an intellect science role and you may utilize technology as your fix-it. Okay. With your Mr. Fix-It. Ten? Ten. Two successes. Two successes. (laughs) Okay, so the professor begins doing calculations, looking, poking around the inside of this with a pen for something he just told you, uh, told the three of you has a blast radius, the casualness with which he is poking the inside of it with a writing utensil is definitely alarming. Slightly puckering, yes. Yeah. Eventually, he pulls the pencil out of it. You have deduced that you were right. The energy that that this produces is, you believe, an unknown or previously unknown type of energy. However, you have heard research, or a few scientists, mostly in Europe, who have begun to do research on it, it's done mostly in Europe, you know, because there are inherent dangers that you have heard with the type of radiation this causes. While you haven't seen any of these pictures, you have heard some pretty horrific things around the old quote-unquote water cooler. This is
2: a concentrated version of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I was right. This would be worse than death. Worse, worse than? what? What's yeah. worse, worse than death? Well, we're talking about rapid mutation of your cellular... Uh, makeup, turning you into something like a mutant else. I don't even know if mutant be right. Maybe it it could turn you into a pool of uh, liquid or something. I don't...
3: Is this something we could recreate and monetize?
2: No, I mean, sure. There's all kinds of ways to use this kind
1: of radiation though. Mm -hmm. So you look at this map and you look at this blue device and you look at the blue X's on the map and a sudden chilling thought goes through you. This is bad. This is real bad.
0: They had planned... Whoever this person was planned on inflicting this on a ton of people.
2: Yeah, and uh, judging by this technology, they're brilliant. So they've got to have some kind of uh, fail-safe.
4: So do the X's mean that's where these other devices are?
2: That would be my guess.
4: Okay. We're going to... Are we going to go hunt these down and disarm them?
2: I don't see how we can't.
0: We have to. Well, right. All right, well... Democracy is right over there. It's
1: as close as one. Mm-hmm. It sure is. So, you guys look towards the Perisphere and Democracy and head off, begin heading off in that direction. And I think that is a perfect time for us to pause here as you travel across the glorious and colorful fairgrounds and hope that it doesn't end up a baked radiation-covered wasteland. Thank you so much for joining us and enjoying the story so far, I hope. We will be seeing you next episode. Thank you very much and good night.